Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode number. Do you know what episode number we're at, John? You've been paying attention. 88. Episode number 88. And that makes me want to take a nostalgic trip back to the mm. year 1788. It's oh, very wow. Important. Yeah, just, just, a little, just a little gentle jump back. <laughs> and 1788 is a really important date for all the people that live in Australia because that's the year that the first fleet turned up and mm. began British colonial rule in what we now know as a modern Australia. 1788, yeah. the first fleet for all those... For all those history buffs out there that want, they're asking the question, guys, what was the start of Australia, modern Australia? When did the British colonial rule first turn up? That was the first fleet was 11 ships, is from Wikipedia, but also from right. my brain because I'm a real history buff. You're a buff. Yeah. I'm a, real, I'm a real buff. I'm a real fleet buff. I'm a real first <laughs> fleet buff. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> This, you're always on the front end of colonization and then you lose interest. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, it's just about fleets. So it was 11 ships. Yeah. It was made up of two Royal Navy vessels, three store ships, and six convict transports. Mm, there you go. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was under the command of Captain Arthur Phillip. And mm-hmm. left Portsmouth, England in 1787 in May. And then okay. it turned up in January. That's a right. big old journey. And yeah. it arrived in Botany Bay. Mm. Where a penal colony would become the first European settlement in Australia. Mm. Of course, shout out to our Dutch and French <laughs> listeners, they'd they'd made an early they'd made it early forays into the Australian right. mainland but, in the sixteen hundreds, uh, in the sixteen hundreds and onwards. I think it was really. Uh, I, I think, think it was sixteen oh six. I think was was what I read. Was that's when the right. first. That sounds about right. The first duchies turned up. Yeah, go on, John. Yeah, and then uh, I just remember the French turned up. Basically, they got some animals for Napoleon's wife's zoo, her little home zoo. Wow. Uh, from Tasmania. Then they just went, let's just go back to France. Do you, and, know, what they, um, do you know what they talk? I don't know. Presumably a, some kind of, some variant of kangaroo, platypus. wallaby, something like they that. They put platypuses in pl- jars, in French in jars. There. Probably a Tassie tiger. There's probably a few straight Tassie tigers running around <laughs> uh, the French Alps from that <laughs> first collection. That would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, that would be a nice cryptid story, actually. <laughs> and the first the first person first ancestor of mine showed up in 1790 just two that years is, after that first that fleet. That is really early. Yeah, he I, stole some stuff uh from his shitty apartment in Smithfield in London and oh, they wow. said no, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> and then his then his daughter married a Maloney and the name was born. Wow. I think, mm. at least on Dad's side, I think our first crew showed up in South Australia in 1850, I think, from the Irish side okay. at least, or a bit later. Yeah. South Australia, of early. course. Uh, the first people turned up in South Australia in what, what is modern day Glenelg, essentially, was the first uh, South Australian ships, 
sailing over. Mm. That was 1836. I missed a trick. Uh-huh. I have to wait until episode 100. <laughs> I'll wait until episode 136 <laughs> to do our mm-hmm. South Australian history episode. <laughs> Look forward to that yeah. one, guys. <laughs> Maybe a multi, multi-episode multi story arc. Um, so there you go. Who knew 1788 that mm. a mere... Two and a bit centuries later, a podcast would be born. <laughs> those men, those those men and those convicts at Botany Bay, they could have never yeah. known what yeah. they were what kind of beautiful podcastery they were what, setting the path for. What if I said to the man who first came, Matthias Locke, his name was. Uh, if I said to him, look. I know this isn't going to make much sense to you, but just hold, just just hold tight and know that in 230 years' time, in Melbourne, uh, there'll be a podcast which will make this all worthwhile. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a, but it probably it doesn't. Is this about Australian history? <laughs> nah, get off. It's definitely, it's definitely not. It's about I've history. Got- but I've got, it's a couple I've got hundred twenty years pages forward. here about Australian history that I was just going to do yeah. as the seven-hour intro to the show. <laughs> there's a there's a British history podcast which a friend of mine was telling me about that he listens to, and they are like a couple of hundred episodes in, and they are still only up to like the eight hundred. So maybe that's wow. the kind of fixation on detail that we could go for. Did you, uh, when I was doing a bit of research for this, did you know, here's a bit of a fun fact for everybody out there. I don't know how far back this goes, but you can just Wikipedia any, well, certainly it worked. <laughs> I, I did, I first actually, <laughs> I first checked 1888. Like that was the first thing that popped into my brain. I just, I forgot that yeah. Australia was settled in 1788. And so I looked up things that happened in 1888 for episode mm. 88 of the podcast. And it was kind of boring, 1888. And so then I looked up and then I remembered, oh, yeah, Australia, the first fleet came in 1788. That'll be good. But you can do, I don't know how far back it goes, but you can just do any year on Wikipedia, mm. which is amazing. You can just you can just go 1622, Wikipedia, and an article mm. comes up about the year 1622 in on Wikipedia. And I don't know how far it goes back, but that's pretty incredible that you can just throw in any year, with probably within the last 500 years, yeah. And it brings up everything of note that happened in that year. Well, I've gone right back, as you've been talking, to 88, the original. <laughs> Zero no, 88? Yeah, just uh, just the year 88 <laughs> AD. Uh, of course, some things... The 80s. We, some things which we would remember, such as two, uh, two Egyptian obelisks are erected in... <laughs> Benevento in front of the Temple of Isis in in honor of Emperor Domitian. I'm sure that of course. some of us uh, learn about that in school. Quintilian retired from teaching and pleading to compose his great work on the training of the orator, which is called Institutio Oratoria. And the first Dacian war or Dacian, Dacian, I think, war oh, ends. The memory. So, yeah, it was the... So eighties, Wendell Dacian Wars. Yeah, it was very eighties. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, synth-related history back then. <laughs> the, the obelisks, the obelisks were like really garishly bejeweled. Apparently, <laughs> a lot of a lot of blow wave haircuts in zero eighty eight. Mm, yeah, 
But I had a I had a message during the week from a guy called uh, J.P. Pennington. Are you familiar with his work? He's he's formerly of a band named Exile. He's formerly of a band named Exile. Okay. And Exile are known for a 1978 hit, which is called Kiss You All Over. And oh, yeah, of course. Re- he reworked the lyrics uh, to go with episode 88 of the podcast. He said that um, he tried to get it to us in time for episode 78, but he had a bit of writer's block. That's fine. And I said, you know, we could still do it. Uh, so, so with your indulgence, I'll just read yeah. those lyrics. It says... I don't know what I'd do without you boys. Don't know where I'd be. You're not just another podcast. No, you're everything to me. Then it says, every time a new app drops, I can't believe it's true. With your podcast in my ears and your schplug in the way you do. So thanks very much, uh, JP, for that <laughs> lovely rendition. Fuck, that was great. I've, I've had forgotten that song until you started. Mm, you don't want to do without your B. You don't know what I'd do. It was a classic, uh, I think it was probably about 2003. There was, and I can't actually remember whoever used that and turned it into a kind of clubby anthem. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, 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 that's how I know it, John, is because of the, mm. the, somebody who sampled I don't know what to do without you, babe. I don't know what to do. You're not just another love and everything to me. And then, and Adam Sandler sings it in an Adam Sandler film. I'm not sure if it's. Oh. Billy Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, but I can picture I can picture Adam Sandler just going, I wanna kiss you all over. Mm, there you go. We haven't done a Sandler cast yet. Maybe no. episode eighty nine, Sandler cast. <laughs> <laughs> talk about just talk about click, the movie click. One of my favorites. His <laughs> <His> number one. <laughs> <laughs> John, this week I've been doing a little bit of music work for those out mm-hmm. there in the Splagas in the Splag. What do we <laughs> for those out in the there in the in the Splag world? Yeah, in the praisosphere. In the praisosphere. For everybody out there in the <laughs> praisosphere, when I'm not casting away with John here, which which takes mm. up six days of my week, <laughs> one day of the week, I. Do a little bit of music work in in some various uh, capacities, and what I've been doing recently is I've been doing a bit of work writing music, which might end up in film trailers, mm-hmm. kind of multi-purpose. But that's what I was that's what I was up to, and it made me think about film trailers. Obviously, because mm-hmm. I was picturing, okay, would this music go well on a film trailer? And then I'm. I guess I messaged you on WhatsApp mm. and perhaps I, I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but perhaps I was even parodying film trailers. And mm. in order to parody a film trailer, if you said to somebody of our generation, parody a film trailer, I think the go-to yeah. is always to do the voiceover from a film mm. trailer to go, in a world where nothing yeah. is as it seems. <laughs> very very brooding and, and gravelly. Yeah. And mm. you probably just would have gone, yeah, that's funny. And then I wrote to you and I said, 
Did you realise there's no voiceovers on any film trailers anymore? Mm. And you said, shut your mouth, you liar. <laughs> they bloody are. Don't say that. <laughs> you were terrified. What do you mean there's no... Of course why there is. Why does everything have to keep changing? <laughs> <laughs> and... Sure enough, you went to your uh, number one source of DPTM info, as did I for mm. this little schblag. Cheddar YouTube channel did a really good explanation. Yeah. And yeah, our younger listeners won't know what the hell we're talking about because the height of the film voiceover was 1994. That was the last time. 1994 mm. was the last, which sounds, that sounds like wave. Way longer ago than I would have thought, but mm. 1994 is the last year that all top 10 grossing films, their trailers had mm. a voiceover explaining a little bit about the plot of the film. Wow. And then in 1995, there was already a film trailer in the top 10 that didn't have a voiceover. But wow. maybe you just want to explain to all the young'uns out there, what mm. am I even saying? They'll say... What's a, is he saying for swa swa? What's a boar twa twa? And you'll say, no, 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 he's not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what a boar twa twa is. Any, any concept <laughs> that they're unfamiliar with, they just, they can't even, they lose their grip. Is, what is this? Bus was Um, No, you Gen Z idiots, listen up. <laughs> What um, would you What would you experience when you were filling your little chipmunk cheeks with cool fruits in the cinema? Mm, well, typically, it's it's so funny. Actually, I didn't realize that 1994 was the last year that the top ten all had this because, and it sort of makes sense that we would, in our minds, it's one of those things that I think we try and bring to light on the show where you think. It's not until you reflect on it that you realize that things have irreversibly changed. Mm, because for the worse. In, in, for the worse. And, uh, <laughs> and in, you know, in our minds, I think you'd kind of still thought, well, I'm, I'm sure there's still some voiceovers, but then you kind of think, well, actually, I can't really remember going to previews recently and hearing any. And if there, you know, I'm sure there's, sure there's the odd one, but typically there would be a, there was there was a kind of hand there was a very small stable of people who were doing mm. this kind of work for the major studios and in fact there was one particular guy who became quite famous and you might know his name because you've been doing the research but there might be a couple of people in this position and i remember his voice became the kind of classic uh version of this voiceover because it was very kind of commanding very baritone very moody and often it would be little stabby kind of uh, evocative phrases that were interspersed with film preview segments. So he'd say, in a world, and then mm. you'd start to see like a panning shot of said world. Yeah. And that's, you know, where something and something blah, you know, yeah. like you know, they're, they're kind of setting up the premise and then, and, and then it's usually switches to, the protagonist, because they've given you the context, you know, it'll say, one man yes. is, has come to change it all. <laughs> and then it'll show 
and it'll show you Will Smith or whoever it might be. And I was, uh, thinking, of, I was thinking of Will Smith too. How funny. <laughs> I was thinking of Will Smith in uh, Independence Day because that is the Independence Day trailer. It's very much like that. Mm. And uh, these days you will often get a similar, relatively similar development of the trailer, but the voiceover is replaced by little phrases rather than uh, a voiceover. Yeah, so actual dialogue in, in a world. Film. Yeah, that's right. Or it'll say if it, if it has text, it might, you know, if it won't be vocalized. It will just be, it will just literally say in a world on the screen. Or like so, a, something a like title that. card. Exactly. Yeah. Which is odd because you'd sort of expect the trend to maybe go the other way. But uh, now that we're in the, well into the era of talkies, but, uh, um, but still that's, that's how it used to be. And it was a very, very common thing. And then you'd sometimes get a different kind of voice, maybe a slightly lighter, more animated voice to do comedy voiceovers. And that, you know, they'd kind of have a bit of a laugh in their throat as they read it. Uh, so that they were kind of giving you a sense that, yeah, this is all a bit yeah. fun and it's Tom Hanks and Helen Hunt just having a, having a good old time. It also made me think, think of film voiceovers and speak, especially you mentioning comedy voiceovers. It reminded me of a South Park episode where, where they are making fun of Rob Schneider movies because <laughs> they, they're kind of making the point that Rob Schneider was in a string of films where he kind of, he would he would become something else. Like I guess mm. the famous one is Rob Schneider, the animal, and they yeah, do this right. really, and they do this really. It just becomes more absurd in South Park. <laughs> yeah, and they're doing this. It's exa- it's, always, it's always like Mike Smith was just an ordinary man living an ordinary life, and then <laughs> the trailer would end, and it would just go. Rob Schneider is the stapler, and then it's just a stapler <laughs> with eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, and we were when we when you brought this to my attention, we were speculating as to where it had gone, and it was yeah. funny because we we kind of then went away. Particularly you, I think, but I had I read a couple of articles on it as well, and did a bit of research. and uh, And the, the intuitive reasons that we came up with, kind of jokingly turned out to be relatively the, accurate. The one you did, especially, I'll get onto that in a sec. I just just a mm. little bit of extra background. I think we would be it's important that we mention the godfather of mm-hmm. movie voiceovers. And mm-hmm. and yeah, when you were a kid, you would go to the movies or you'd have your VHS tapes that you'd rented and the previews would come on and you'd get super excited because the previews were fun. You wanted to know what great movies were coming. Mm. This was at a time when you actually looked forward to movies coming out. It was a very different time. You'd think, <laughs> there's going to be some sort of new story that I haven't heard before. I can't yeah. wait to see what that is. And the man who would tell you all about it, the inner world man, is a man by the name of with a tremendous name, Don LaFontaine. And mm. according to according to Cheddar, he is also the man responsible for changing the completely changing the style of the movie voiceover. So apparently the first trailer came out mm-hmm. before a movie in nineteen thirteen. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until nineteen forty that voiceover started uh, explaining a little bit of the premise of the of the film as you'd watch the preview. And there was a very particular style 
wonder actually, maybe if I've got time, I'll chuck a little bit of it in from Cheddar. There was a very particular mm. style from 1940 to the 1960s, which is quite mm. different from what um, Don LaFontaine did. And right. that, that maybe sounds like this. This is the untamed wilderness, grandeur that seems untouched by man. And into this mountain fastness comes a man in pursuit of danger. And then after that, apparently mm. the story goes, and this just sounds like probably it's embellished because it's just too great a story. Apparently, yeah. Don LaFontaine was a sound engineer who'd never done any voiceover. He was wow. making a trailer for a, for a film. Apparently the film was called... Um, one second. It was 1964. It was called Gunfighters of the Ca- Gunfighters of Casa Grande, and the mm-hmm. voiceover actor who was meant to do the trailer didn't show up. And they were like, "Man, mm. we need to, we need it, we need to finish this trailer today and give it to the studio." Duh, Don, you you can talk. You do it. So then Don Lafontaine just jumped on mm. and said, "I guess this is what you do." And he gave a much more impassioned, kind oh. of dramatic, dramatic reading of the trailer. And the studio was like, this is a game changer. We absolutely love this. It's time (laughs) for the style of film trailers to change. For the Fontaine era to begin. For the Fontaine. Guys, switch on the Fontaine. Let all that Fontaine liquid spew from the top of the Fontaine, they said. Mm. And Mm. then from that day forward, he started getting all this work and he became the most prolific voiceover artist by... But voiceover artists by far, he he mm. has some insane amount of trailers uh, credits to his name over his career. He died in two thousand and eight, but he did. Mm-hmm. I think I read at least over five thousand. And because he was a voiceover <sighs> actor, and yeah. because he was just doing these little voiceovers that he could churn out a few in a day, he's got the mm. most acting credits of anybody of the Screen Actors Guild. Is Don LaFontaine? Wow. And out. And uh, yeah, so he was—he's the inner world guy, and and mm. and I'll I'll throw in a little bit of classic Don LaFontaine now. I even think some of our younger listeners will have heard some of these trailers because yeah, this is the surely. this is the inner world bit. This is your classic Fontaine. In a world in the year two thousand seventeen, in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south from the sewers of gotham from the rooftops of gotham above gotham within this skyscraper high above the city in a town driven by competition in a world that's powered by violence it's christmas eve in la on new year's eve of the last decade of the 20th century detectives mike lowry and Marcus Burnett, special agent John Kruger. Yeah, so that was the trend for years. As we said, 1994 was the last year that all the top 10 grossing films had a voiceover over them. Think about Stanley Ipkiss in The Mask. That was a 94 mm. classic. Mm-hmm. You, you real loved hearing the voiceover over that. But John, you guessed cleverly. <laughs> One of the main reasons why voice, why the trend changed, and why voiceovers are no longer necessary. What was it that you said mm-hmm. to me? So I think I said basically because I was being cynical. I said, <laughs> "Yeah, one of the one of the reasons, and it's very kind of on on brand, almost eye rollingly on brand for us." But uh, <laughs> but I 
But I said, yeah, one of the reasons that I bet it went away was because you used to be able to have to explain the premise of a movie because it was mm. a novel story that you hadn't heard before. Whereas now yeah. it's like, here's another eight hours of CGI running around. You That's don't really right. need you don't really need somebody to go. And like particularly in an era where, you know, there were I was talking to someone recently about the kind of spate of Michael Crichton films. His best known was Jurassic Park. That was an adaptation of a Michael Crichton book. But there are a lot of weird ones about, you know, aliens and giant gorillas and all this stuff. So you'd watch those films and you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell from the images alone, well, what the hell is this about? So you needed somebody to like, or you, you gave the example of planes, trains and automobiles. Yeah. Uh, Shout out you know, it's to like Peter Maloney. It's quite a, yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's a favourite film of my dad. And it's got a relatively sort of specific and convoluted premise. So you need to kind of give people a bit of a sense of that for yeah. them to be able to make a judgment. It'd be like, why should somebody go, we need to get bums on seats. Why, yeah. sh- why should somebody go and see this? So you give them a little mm. bit of a... Let them know what yeah. kind of a time they're going to expect. Yeah. Whereas now I think stories are like the film industry is less driven by original narrative. So there's less reason to do that. The other thing I said, which may or may not be true, is I think that people have gotten more adept as the film, as film as a medium has gone on and on. People have gotten more adept at picking up on, you know, cues that tell you it's this kind of film and, yeah. the, and the sort of like language of cues has gotten more sophisticated so that now you probably just need to like shoot it in a particular way, the trailer in a particular way and play a particular kind of genre of music over the top of the images for people to say to themselves, well, I don't yet really know what this is about, but I know that it's the kind of movie that I as a audience demographic will like because it's yeah. you know, uh, artsy or it's goofy or whatever the hell it is, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's less reason to kind of go, here's the premise of this film, now here's the premise of that film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I spotted there were there were three things that were suggested in my research. The first mm-hmm. the first one that somebody suggested, which I thought was interesting, is that the market became a bit saturated with voiceover trailers. So there was nothing to make mm-hmm. your film stand out. And people were perhaps mm-hmm. growing a little bit tired of Don LaFontaine on every single thing going, in a world, or <laughs> Stanley was just a regular guy with a regular life. And it's playing. Playing Let My Love Open the Door. Stanley was just an ordinate. When people keep repeating, <laughs> then you'll never fall in love. Um, <laughs> from Pete Townsend. Um, so the three things were that one, they said that it was becoming a bit oversaturated, so there's no way to get any cut mm-hmm. through. If you had a voiceover, people mm. might start tuning out in like 94, mm. 95, 95. Mm. The second thing was spot on, John, is what you said, is that now films, virtually all films... <laughs> have a built-in audience. So the Harry mm. Potter franchise started around the same kind of time. Like 2008, they were mentioning, was a bit of a death knell for... Between 94 and 2008, they started to mm. drop off. And then I think mm. the start of films with built-in audiences like Iron Man, comic book films, mm. and Harry Potter, 
meant that these films with built-in audiences, they already understood the world. They knew everything mm. about the characters. So all yeah, you had to yeah. show was a little four-eyes boy with a little bit of electricity <laughs> on his forehead. You got that little boy with a little electricity lightning on his forehead and he's got his glasses mm. and he's got his squibbitch ball and his broom. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't need anyone to explain to you what's going to happen because you know exactly what's going to happen because you read all the books yeah. and you know yeah. all about the comic book worlds because you, know, you don't need anybody to explain them to you. And then uh, the third thing they said was that in the era of YouTube, mm. uh, people watch trailers very differently now and they watch them hmm. Multiple times, and mm, so back right. in the day, a movie studio might have that they were going into it thinking they had one opportunity potentially to get you with this trailer. You were going to see it once in the cinema, so mm. they really had to convince you to go see the film. Whereas now, people rewatch trailers over and over and over and over again on YouTube. People mm. do all these bloody react to trailers videos. <laughs> Watch me react to the new Avatar trailer and then they'll play mm. the trailer side by side some idiot going, <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Just me More shoving blue. a fork into my face. <laughs> <laughs> More blue people, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting so long. Thank you, James. Just, pour, just pouring. Just pouring pre-mix into their ear. Pouring that deep <laughs> cola syrup into their ear. God, thank you so much. Hey, I've been waiting so long for more avatars. Thank you so much. And then you can comment in the in the comments and go, thank you so much for reacting to all of the new avatar movies that are coming out. Thank you so much. So it's a very different world. Yeah. Oh, also, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, Don, the reason I was just going to mention... Uh, I remember now the reason they said 2008 was important because that was the year that Don LaFontaine passed away. Thunderthroat, mm. as he was known, the voice of God in a world. He died. He was so pervasive that he was kind of like a one-man industry. He was yeah, alive. that's what they said. Wow. Yeah, because I don't... It would be very common to go to the movies and hear multiple films that were him being... Uh, multiple trailers with him as the narrator. Yeah, you could... And, you uh, could... You could... You could Go to the film, go to the movies, and it wouldn't be unheard of for every trailer that you saw mm. at that sitting in the theater being a Donny LaFontaine. Mm. Donny LaFontaine, as we used to call him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now, if anybody's if anybody's scratching their head, going, "Well, if there's no voiceover, what is there?" As John was mentioning. Typically, they'll if they need to, they'll use title cards that say mm-hmm. in that might say "Get ready this Christmas" or something. But often they, more often they just use dialogue from the film to mm. explain a little bit of what's going to happen if they need to, or in some cases, actually get the actors to perform dialogue for the trailer that doesn't really and doesn't end up in the film. So you're you're hearing the character say something, which helps guide premise of the film in the trailer and that mm, right. that dialogue actually doesn't even end up in the film. It's oh, just for right. the purposes of the trailer. They'll shoot scenes just for the purposes of the trailer. Yeah, they'll, they'll get the actor in and, and as you say, the, the trailer might start and it might say, you know, the film production company logo sort of fades in and then out and then they'll be yeah. a fade, fade from black to light and it will be a desert mm. and you'll just hear somebody whispering going, I thought 
thought today was gonna be one of the best days mm. of my life. Jing 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 jing. <laughs> I'm so I'm so happy that I'm here with you. Jing 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 jing. Shush 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 shush. Gung gung gung. I wanna I wanna see whatever that is. Get ready for the desert. It's Al Holland presents the desert film. <laughs> Timothy um, Charlemagne is that his name? The boy that everybody loves. Yeah, uh, Sh- Charlemagne. I don't Charlemagne, know, the actor. Now. Charlemagne, Charlemagne, the god. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> is in our Holland presents some Timothy Charlemagne yeah, in the desert. <laughs> some kind of I just dune the, thread through. That <laughs> I just love the de- I just love the desert so much. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so much sand. <laughs> I think there's also an element of something that you've talked about before on the show, which is the kind of information gap in marketing and mm. exploiting that as a way to draw people in. So there must have been a point where they thought actually maybe we can get bums on seats by giving people too little information about what this film is about but just giving them enough of the kind of evocative imagery and cryptic phrases to make them go, oh, yeah, that sounds like something I want to know about. And then you see the film and you're like, oh, it was about Captain Marvel. Great. Um, But, you know, maybe you had a moment of (laughs) excitement. Like I remember they did that with um, The Irishman, which is Martin Scorsese's latest film, I think, that – had a kind of age-reversed Robert De Niro, which is in oh, itself yeah. an interesting bit of technology. But um, I watched several trailers for that and still didn't really have an understanding of what it was. And I, I went off and read a bit about it. But just from watching the trailers, you were really kind of given a sense of what the mood of the film might be, but not really much in the way of what the story was. But you knew it was a Scorsese film, so there's, there's That's again, the thing, isn't a guaranteed it? You could just, audience there. You could just have a title card that said Martin's, a Martin Scorsese film directed by yeah. Martin Scorsese and yeah, you're yeah, going to give, yeah. give that a time of day. So that mm. was, everybody, that was what happened to movie voiceovers. And for mm. anybody out there who's wondering, of the top 10 highest grossing films of 2022, speaking of built-in audiences... If you're wondering, I wonder how many top 10 films of 2022 don't have a built-in audience already. The answer is none. Every single film <laughs> in the top 10 right now is a comic book film, a reboot, a sequel. It's all mm. top 10 of trash. So that's where it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> the only film, the film that looked the most interesting, I think, I sent to you, John, I think it was number seven. And it's just, mm. it is a sequel uh, and it's just some kind of Chinese propaganda film that yeah. is a uh, is a sequel in it, it in itself, but look pretty good. I yeah, might look, check that out. Looking down that list, I was like, well, at least I'm not really familiar with what this is going to be. So that's yeah. given me that's given me an unfamiliar feeling of excitement that I haven't <laughs> felt looking at a movie list for a little while. So I can't wait to get a big old pop car and a big old. Coca-Cola and watch the f- the fight for COVID-02. Thank you, Xi Jinping. <laughs> Appreciate that movie.
Al, I was on the tram the other day here in Melbourne and I had an experience which I wanted to unpack with you and our listeners. Uh, there was there was not that many people on the tram, so my attention was drawn to a conversation which was going on behind me between these two uh, slightly affected 20-somethings, and I picked up that one of them was a musician and the other okay. one was a person who was familiar with that person's music because he was asking him ah. about songs that they'd recently released. Oh, and so it was like somebody had recognized somebody on the tram. I think they just knew each other. Okay. But I think that I got the impression that the person asking the, the first person questions was two, was two, two men and uh, they, were, they were having a conversation about the, one of their music and I got the impression that the guy asking him about the, the music was a bit of a fanboy. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of laughing to myself because the conversation went sort of like, oh, oh, did you go with, what songs did you release? Did you go with Please Proceed? Yeah, Please <laughs> Proceed. Uh, we did Please Proceed. We did What Remains. We did Bloodstained Freak. We did Chunky <laughs> Allen. Pretty sure it was Chunky Allen. I might have misheard that one, but I just like that phrase. And I was like, man, song titles sound ridiculous in isolation. Like it's very hard to for them not to sound like really kind of sophomoric and pretentious, like a bunch of young people sitting around coming up with pretty average ideas and thinking <laughs> it's some kind of genius. And then I thought, why don't I look up one of these song titles just to see if he's like from a band that I should know about. So yeah. I pu pulled out my phone and I pulled up uh, Spotify and I put in Please Proceed and it turned out that <laughs> they were this band called Blue Vetter who'd recently been picked up by Triple J, okay. which is an Australia, Australian kind of indie radio station uh, that, that Triple J has a long-running thing, for those who don't know, it's decades old now, called the Unearthed Competition. And Blue Vetter, this band, had been uh, had been picked up by the Unearthed Competition. It's basically about um, picking up young, unknown bands and giving them a bit of airplay and I think organising a festival for them. So they did that for Blue Vetter and they described them as on the website as a dream gaze outfit oh. who have created a contemporary but accessible gateway to the ambient trance of the nostalgic stewgaze soundscape. Okay, this sounds like my kind and, of thing. Uh, I'm going to have to check them out. Yeah. It says, inspired by the sonics of My Bloody Valentine's yeah. Slow Dive, ra Radiohead and the Smashing Pumpkins. And I was like, man, this is, <laughs> this is like uh, somehow this guy's making stuff <laughs> for people of my vintage. And, uh, and it says, with the aim of reinstating the ever-popular 90s genre, complete with heavy fuzz, delay, and copious moments of reverb into its former glory. A, product, a project was created to fill the genre's void in the Australian musical landscape. And they've got a recent EP single called Static, and uh, their name is Blue Vetter, and you can check them out now on Spotify, and I encourage you to do that. But it was an interesting, it gave me an interesting... Well, it, it was an interesting realisation to know that if you hear anything in a kind of eavesdropped conversation now, which reveals like proper nouns mm. or somebody's full name, then you can just use the internet in your pocket <laughs> to kind of find out a weird amount of information about that person. <laughs> and it just made me think, man, pretty soon I reckon you'll just be able to like 
hover your camera over that person for an instant and then a Google lens will to- pick it up to- and say, yeah, totally. it's, it's, it's this bloke. Yeah, um, totally. Here. I mean, governments can do that right now with CCTV. Yeah. With CCTV. They've all got that technology where they can just go, oh, I'll just click this face and it just tells them exactly who it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And And I felt like I was kind of inadvertently being slightly invasive because I just had idly gone, I wonder if I could find out what band he's in, he's in, and of course I could. And then I was very tempted in the moment to just start playing Please Proceed really loud on my phone on the tram and then and then maybe slowly walk up to them, over to them deadpan and just extend my arm with my little phone facing them playing Please Proceed. Uh, but I didn't. I wish I had done that for the sake of the podcast, but that only occurred to me after the fact, sadly. But shout out to Blue Vetter and <laughs> uh, to anyone who's interested in technology-assisted eavesdropping, I invite you to give it a we go. We should tag them and see if they'll listen to this Totally bit. should. They would, they, they would love yeah. that. You're a little tram weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, friends of the show. Um, yeah, Blue Vetter. Friends of the sh- new friends of the show. Blue Vetter. <laughs> I think the blue. I think the veteran Blue Vetter has got to be Eddie. A an homage to Eddie yeah. Vetter, yeah, who we were just uh, talking about on the show. So this could be a real match, a real real cross promotional match made in heaven. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in at episode number 88 of Don't Praise Machine. It's been such a pleasure, and I just wanted to make a little announcement, John. I mm-hmm. entered the lottery to run in the Berlin Marathon next year in September, and I got in. So that oh. means now I'm going to be running along with my, hopefully he runs, my number mm. one friend of the show, Elliot Eulid Kipchoge, is going to mm. be there, and I'm going to be racing him trying to beat him, doing my very best. And actually, I was going to say that my... I'm going to make the announcement here. I'm going to try and do it in under four hours. This is my dream. I'm manifesting. I'm putting it out there. I'm letting the audience know so that they believe in me, they give me trust. I'm going to try and do it in less than... Under four. Let's do it, guys. Should maybe you should take the uh, take the smoking man's take the tip, <laughs> Uncle Chen, take a leaf out of his. Yeah, that's right. Take a leaf out of Uncle Chen's book and get on the darts as you're Uncle doing rounds. I'm gonna have a pack of Marlboros and I'll be having that smooth Carolina taste. And I'll see you at the finish. Everybody in the DPTM community, I'll see you at the finish line in September. <laughs> Thanks so much, 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 everybody for tuning in episode number 88 of Don't Praise Machine. Fantastic episode. It's been, we've absolutely loved talking about the early British colonial period of Australia's history. From penal colonies at Botany Bay to episode 88, what a wild roller coaster it's been. And haven't we loved remembering the golden era of movie voiceovers and remembering Thunder Throat himself, John LaFontaine. In a world. 
where the hottest slugs rule, this one was a real winner. And we've loved talking about John's Tram Encounter with Triple J Unearthed Winner Blue Better. Digitally assisted eavesdropping. Give it a try next time you're on a boring commute. It might just change your life for the better. And we've loved hearing about Alexander Holland being selected in the lottery to compete in next year's Berlin Marathon as he attempts to finish the race in less than four hours. Go for gold, Al. We can't wait to see you at the finish line puffing on a dart. As always, I've been one of your hosts and I go by the name Alexander Holland. And as always, I'm sad. Digitally, next to my number one digital download dog boy. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next week.